following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Uh, Wade, would you come up, please? This is Wade Reed. He's a member of Artisan's College of Preachers, which is uh, something that we've been doing for about a year now and really has been wonderful. And uh, Wade's sermon was certainly no exception. Last time he preached, I think he sort of brought the house down. Um, I wasn't here that day, but I heard the podcast. <laughs> That's and why he thinks that. No, no, it's not why. <laughs> I heard that because many people told me that, Wade. All right. Lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> people I trust. So Wade is here, uh, and we're, he's going to continue in this topic uh, above, of the atonement with a really awesome sermon, and I can't wait to learn from you. I hope that all of you are as excited about this as I am. Would you please welcome Wade Reed? So I'm going to start, I'm just kind of a jump into it kind of guy, so I'm just going to start with a story. Uh, this is something that actually happened to me in my life. You're going to think I wrote this as part of some sitcom pilot, but this really happened to me. Um, I was about 15 years old. I was on a mission trip with my youth group, and we had gone to the Chicagoland area, um, and we were just engaging in a lot of different service projects around the city, one of which involved going to um, a ministry where people with different mental and physical disabilities could go and have meaningful work um, and not spend their days just kind of in a home Uh, being cared for all the time, but actually uh, take part in some meaningful jobs. Um, And we would have a debrief. Different groups would go to different projects every day, and we would have a debrief together in small groups at the end of the day. So uh, one day in our debrief group, one of the girls who had uh, gone to uh, to this ministry, she starts telling a story about I worked alongside this girl all day, and I just, I just knew I had to share Jesus with her. And I, just, I told her about Jesus, and I told her you know, about Jesus dying on the cross for her, and I, I didn't know all day if she had understood any of it at all and until someone came in the room, and she said, she looked up and she said, Hi, God died for me. And you know, that just confirmed to her that she had been understood, and this, this girl had understood her, everything she told her. And then... Uh, Someone in the group kind of looks around a little sheepishly and perks up and says, you told her he came back, right? (laughs) And her face just turned beet red because the answer to that question was no. Um, See, I think uh, one of the issues we tend to have with the atonement is that we are telling only part of the story. Um, we, We can talk about the cross, right? Someone's wrongful execution, that's relatively easy to understand, right? Uh, You know, in this world, people die. And so when we talk about the cross, we're talking about something that people can kind of understand more easily. Uh, I think the resurrection gets a lot tougher. We're really not used to people uh, returning from death. And so we talk about it less. But I think there's something that's really difficult that we never talk about, and that is the ascension. Um, That is the part of the story at the end of the Gospels where Jesus goes flying into heaven. And I think that's really difficult uh, because flying Jesus is really hard to understand, all right? Like, for real, for real. Um, I, oh, I have so many good examples. Imagine, like, any of your favorite novels ending that way. You're, like, reading, okay, imagine you're reading, like, Moby Dick, and you get to the end, and let's rewrite the end a little bit. Let's say they get the whale, and Ahab flies off into the sky. That would be so awkward. Uh, for my Jane Austen, uh, fan, my fellow Jane Austen fans, uh, imagine, you know, Elizabeth and Darcy at the end, they engage in that great kiss, they come together, and then they fly off into the sky. <laughs> it's, I seriously came up with like a thousand of these. Um, one more. You know the first, do you, do you all remember the first Matrix movie? 
uh, how at the end, um, there's like a phone conversation and there's that like, that sky view, bird's eye view of the city. And you're like, yeah, something's about to go down. And then like Keanu goes flying by and it's over. <laughs> and you're like, what did you do? You kind of dropped it there. And then you saw the other two movies and you're like, you should have left it at flying Keanu. Um, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. Like when we get to that part of the gospels, there's just sort of an awkwardness about it. And we don't really understand what's going on. We could camp on this all day. We could sit here and talk about interpretation and about phenomenalism and how they were seeing things they couldn't totally understand. And so God put them in terms they could understand. We could do that. That would be probably a fine sermon. Um, that would probably be a good like Bible study group. Um, we could camp on this and talk about history. We could sit here and say, I, I could give a sermon that's something like, three reasons I know the ascension really happened, you know, and we could, you know, sit down and really work through an argument for why, you know, this, um, why we uh, understand this as an actual historical event. Um, but I think what I want to do instead of either of those, those would be good things to do, but what I want to do instead is um, listen and investigate the New Testament a little bit, find out what they had to say about the ascension, because I think it spoke very powerfully to them, and I think it still can to us. And so we're not going to camp on those issues too much. Um, Because if you think it was difficult for us to read about the ascension, imagine how difficult it was for them explaining it at the time. Oh, he died, and he was resurrected, he came back. Oh, oh, really? It gets very Monty Python-ish. Oh, oh, really? So where is he? Well, he flew away. Right? So what we should expect is that the people of the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament, did some wrestling with this concept and wanted to truly understand it and had to truly understand it because they had to give an account to their world as they were trying to spread this good news about Jesus, about the cross, about the resurrection, and about the ascension. And I think, I think it's discussed very heavily, but we kind of skip over it. We kind of miss it. How heavily is it discussed? It's in Mark Uh, Luke gives, Luke being the historian he is, gives kind of the most uh, detailed account. He's all about the details. And if you take Luke and Acts as a two-volume work, Acts begins with the ascension. So Luke actually thought it was so important, he wrote it down twice, okay? Um, And in John, John consistently refers to the end of Jesus' life as glorification, as though the cross and the, the resurrection were a step on the journey to the ascension, That's how important I think it is. And in Matthew, when Jesus says, all authority in in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it implies some of the concepts we're going to talk about uh, when we talk about the ascension. It's very important. They did a lot of work on it. There's a lot of meat there. So we're going to go after two passages, two passages. One, an Old Testament quote, because that's what you do when you're trying to understand something really difficult, right? You draw on the resources that you have. So they drew on the Old Testament and some concepts. We're going to look at that. And one early hymn and creed that reveal the meaning and message of the ascension. And if I were going to sum that up, and, and I'm going to try to repeat it a few times. If I were going to sum up the meaning of the ascension, I would sum it up as this. The immeasurable value of humanity in the heart of God. The immeasurable value of humanity in the heart of God. That is the message of the ascension. If you remember nothing else, and if you have, you know, what, what was he talking about? That. That is the message of the ascension, the immeasurable value of humanity in the heart of God. And so um, we're going to jump right in. The, the Old Testament quote that pops up the most when they're talking about the ascension, and if you want to flip to Acts 2, um, especially verses 34 to 36, uh, if I could get a page number for the Red Bibles on that, I just forgot to look it up. Um, 
Acts 2, 34 through 36. This is like one of the first sermons ever uh, in the book of Acts. And it's one of the first times that someone has to explain what happened, what, you know, what is this, this uh, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension all about. Um, and Peter, his whole message leads to this verse, to Psalm 110, uh, verse 1. And it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So, you know, Jesus ascends because, you know, he gets a better seat. Sit, right? That's the the operative verb. Sit at my right hand, right? He can see things, more things from up there, right? Maybe a little more meaningful than that. So this is possibly the first attempt to explain the ascension. Um, And this particular verse is quoted or alluded to over a dozen times in the New Testament. Any time... Uh, that you're reading the New Testament, and someone refers to Jesus as at the Father's right hand, this verse is in the background, okay? And that's quite a few times. Uh, Ephesians 1 comes to mind. Colossians, I believe it is the second chapter, um, pops up all the time. Um, And this is actually the most often quoted chapter, now not verse, but chapter of the Old Testament in the New Testament. So they were going back to this as a resource over and over again after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. So, what does this verse teach us about the ascension, about where Jesus is now, about being at the right hand of God? Well, let's pick apart some of the words. Let's look at the word sit. Now, sit, is that an active thing? You see someone sitting, are you, are you being active necessarily? No. Sitting is a posture of rest. Sitting was what kings and queens and royalty and, and different... Uh, higher classes of the ancient world would do. Um, you read through Proverbs, and, and Solomon is all about, hey, don't sit. <laughs> He's all about, like, work hard. Um, because that's what the people had to do to survive. They had to work hard. But if you had the means, you could sit. You could rest if you had the means. And rest is a very, very important concept in the Bible. Where do we first learn about rest? Anyone? Anyone? Genesis. Genesis. Genesis is a picture of a king having rest over his kingdom. Genesis is this beautiful picture of the harmony that God establishes in the world, in the created world, and then says, this is very good, and takes a seat. He rests at creation. God rests. At creation, human beings are at God's side residing over a beautiful harmony, at rest. So when Jesus is at God's side as a human being, because remember, the gospel accounts are at pains to explain that Jesus still has a body, is still a human being after the resurrection. Doesn't just go back to heaven, you know, to go back to, you know, being God or whatever, but goes back as a human, as what we are or will be more accurately. So this is really the ascension, and especially what this verse teaches us about it, is really a return of humans to our birthright. We were meant to be at God's side, residing over a restful, harmonious creation. And this is really God's way of saying, look where you were supposed to be. In the person of Christ, God puts us back where we were supposed to be. You are a member of the species that God values and prizes so highly that he wants us right at his side. So that's sit. 
Now, there's another phrase, make your enemies your footstool, which is a little more difficult. Um, and this, but this is an image, if I could just sum it up, expressing peace. Um, we tend to look at the word enemies and we think about, you know, conquering. We think of war. Actually, if the enemies are the footstool, um, then they're conquered and, they, and we have a time of peace. And as uncomfortable as that might make us, I think what the verse wants us to focus on is the peace expressed um, in the image. Now, we need to be careful because the enemies here, not people, okay? Let me just express that emphatically. We don't go out and find the enemies of God. They're not people. Um, I think probably plenty of times God's people uh, have gotten that wrong, and we need to be very careful with how we use images like this. But let's just start there, not people. The enemies are anything that stands in the way of human flourishing in the manner envisioned in Genesis. Anything that stands in the way of human flourishing in in the manner envisioned in Genesis. Because think about it. Like, human creativity is amazing. It kind of sometimes feels like this boundless expanse that we're just exploring. And the abilities of humankind to, to alter the world for better are incredible, but so often frustrated by our bad motives, so often frustrated by addiction, mental illness, economic hardship, racial divides. So often frustrated. Imagine what human creativity was meant to be. Those things that stifle that creativity, those are the enemies this verse is talking about. Human relationships, how connected we can feel to one another, whether it's to one person or to an entire group, how close we can come, the things we can accomplish together. Consistently frustrated by jealousy, Greed, selfishness, lust, any number of other enemies. Those are the enemies this verse is talking about. Because think of what those relationships were meant to be in Genesis. It's a beautiful picture. So this verse envisioned an end to all that. Envisioned a time when we would be at rest and at peace again. The ascension shows us the immeasurable value of humanity in the heart of God. By setting off a mission to restore that rest and peace of creation. Because what Israel did with this verse was they started using it in their enthronement ceremony. So once a year, twice a year, however many times a year, they would enthrone the king and they would read this passage at that enthronement. And it would remind them that they were a people with a mission to restore that rest and peace to creation. That they were a people whose mission was to show the world the value of humanity in the heart of God. And they would focus that in the person of the king as they enthroned the king. Sound familiar? Jesus' ascension takes that mission, that beautiful mission of Israel, that they would rehearse through this verse to bring God's rest and peace to the earth and it applies it universally, not just to Israel, but to all those who exercise faith in Christ, who who decide to follow Christ. When Jesus takes the throne in heaven, this mission takes on a universal scope through the church. And when I say universal, it's really tempting to think bigger, right? Universal is bigger, It's beyond Israel. Now it's all over the world. I want to caution you, that's not all that universal means. 
Because yes, it goes beyond Israel, and yes, it is now to nations who are of, of non, uh, non-Jewish ethnic descent. But it also means that the everyday humanity we show each other takes on this missional dimension. I'm not saying the reason you should be good people is because you're on a mission from God. That's true. (laughs) But think of like the smallest things that you do or neglect to do for others. What rest, what peace you can bring into their lives at home, at work, your hobbies, with your friends, whatever it is, wherever it is, all those things have a new significance in light of the ascension, in light of who's on the throne. That mission is ticked off, kicked off (laughs) by Jesus' ascension. And that mission reaches into every little thing we do. That's what universal means. So that's the first point. The ascension shows the immeasurable value of humanity in the heart of God by setting off a mission to restore the rest and peace of creation. But there's another dimension to this. It's actually not even another dimension. It's kind of just a contour to this same dimension. So I'd like you to turn to uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. I think it's page 964 in the Red Bibles, unless, you know, I forgot that already by the time I got up here from when I was in the chair. 964. And we're going to talk about another truth behind the ascension. And in 1 Timothy 3.16, I know that the, the Red Bibles have this pretty differently than the version I used, um, but I'm going to read the version I used because it's in order to just not trip myself up right now. Um, here it goes. He was manifested in flesh, he is Jesus, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So this is a very early hymn or affirmation of Christian faith. This was like a creed. This would have been like one of their creeds that they spoke to kind of get everyone on the same page about what it was they believe. Um, Just like we did today, right? Exact same kind of thing happening in this passage. It's a hymn or affirmation of faith. Now, usually when you wrote these or when you put them down, you'd want to put them down in some kind of memorable fashion. That's why when we do the Apostles' Creed, it's, it's Father, Son, Spirit, and then kind of the litany of other things, uh, other affirmations. So you want them to be memorable. So guys, get ready, because your sophomore lit class is back, and it is here at Artisan Church today. So we're going to look at how it was they arranged this to make it memorable because I think, I think it contains the seed of an idea that we, we all probably need to hear. So, first line, he was manifested in flesh. If you remember, sophomore English, put a little A next to that line. <laughs> okay, is this familiar yet? Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. This refers to the resurrection. These two ideas go together to refer to the resurrection of Christ. Because remember, the angels were at the tomb. And we look at the, the, the work of the Spirit in the life of Christ, and the, the crowning work of the Spirit was the resurrection. So put two little Bs next to those two lines. A, B, B. Then, preached among the nations, believed on in the world. That's pretty simple. That's the mission of the church. That's what we were just talking about. Spreading that rest and peace. Giving the good news. Getting it out. Right? Put little C's next to those two. Preached and believed. They go together. It's so simple. It was made to be memorable, right? And taken up 
in glory. And I would argue you put another little A next to that one. So that manifested in flesh and taken up in glory become the frame whereby you understand the story. See, section A, the A's in the story, manifested in the flesh and taken up in glory, is the shape of the story. It's the frame whereby we understand atonement and what God is doing in the world now. When we say manifested in flesh, we're talking about weakness. We're talking about um, not the idea that the body is bad. Flesh doesn't necessarily mean body because there are a lot of things that are attributed to flesh that you do in your head if you read the New Testament. So not necessarily the body is what's bad. The flesh is just our own human weakness. It's that part of us that sin exploits. It's that part of us that just can't quite hit the mark, as, as Scott talked about a few weeks ago, like that archer. I actually was... Who here has seen the new James Bond trailer? Okay, don't ever get any kind of theology from James Bond. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But there's a line in the new James Bond trailer where someone says to Bond in, like, this really dramatic voice says, you're a kite twisting in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. That's what the flesh is. Things have gone wrong. The world is... is is falling apart is a mess. And we're a kite in that hurricane. That's what the flesh is. Doesn't mean you're bad. We're just ill-equipped. It's just weakness. But Jesus took on that weakness. Jesus was manifested in flesh and taken up in glory, lifted up, transcending what Scott has referred to as the futility that the Bible addresses when we address the atonement. So when we think of the story of Jesus and we, we think of the resurrection and the mission that we're on, The frame we're supposed to think of is manifested in flesh, taken up in glory. This hymn, this affirmation tells us that the ascension is God's way of expressing the desire that every story that ends in futility, or begins in futility, excuse me, every story that begins in futility ends in glory. Every story that begins in the flesh ends in glory. Every story. You guys probably have these stories. You probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Those stories that start with futility. Maybe you are in the middle of one right now. I think it's really easy to get in the middle of one of these stories of the futility of the world, of the frustration of the flesh, and stop believing that anything can ever be any different to not see anything beyond that futility anymore. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've been there a lot lately. And I'm not going into any details. We're not going to camp on that. It is so easy to get in the middle of one of those futile stories and just stop. Just go, this is it. This is all there is. God has acted decisively in the ascension to tell us that stories that begin in futility end in glory. See, we're really good at saying, look at the suffering on the earth and see the face of Jesus in it. And Jesus used that image himself. And so I think that's a really good thing to say. What I want to tell you is look at Jesus on the throne of the universe at God's right hand and see your suffering in him. That is what God desires. But it's not simple, right? It's not like some magic bullet. There's no magic wand. There's no sudden change. 
One commentator said it like this, Jesus' suffering is not forgotten. Even Jesus' suffering is not forgotten. Read Revelation. The one on the throne has scars. Let that sink in. The one on the throne has scars. Jesus' suffering is not forgotten, but conquered and eclipsed by the glory which comes from the Father. You might be in here today, and like me, you can't quite hear it yet. That's okay. Your wound might be too deep for anything that I say today to reach it. But if I could do one thing, I would point you to the ascension as God's definitive response to the futility that we all experience, that we all might be experiencing right now. God doesn't just leave us to languish. God wants to lift us up. And I might throw one warning your way. Be careful trying to extend the rest and peace of God to creation if you don't believe it yourself, for you. Be very careful. That, that might do more damage than, than good. It's really easy. It's this little mind trick we do to ourselves. Like, well, that's true of everyone else but me. I'm stuck in the futility. I'm stuck in the flesh. Be very careful with that. To be part of the mission, you need first to let this message wash over you. To know that God desires, God values humankind so immeasurably that God desires every story that begins in flesh to end in glory whether we have the vision long enough to see it or not. That is the message of the ascension. Another message of the ascension, and uh, I'm just going to kind of talk about this one real quick because we've, we've gone pretty far, pretty long actually. Uh, another message of the ascension is uh, Christ's presence with us. That um, Jesus from the throne room of heaven makes God's presence with us available now. And one way in which that presence is available to us that Jesus himself instituted is communion, is the table. So we're going to transition into uh, the time of communion now. Um, Scott always says that at Artisan, the table is for anyone seeking to follow Jesus. You don't have to be a member at this church or our denomination or anything like that. Um, This is for anyone in the middle of a story about futility willing to accept the hope that that story can end in glory. So let's continue to worship together and take communion. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.